one, two. All right. It's time to get in the Word. <laughs> time to get in the Word. We're going to go to First Timothy tonight again, chapter 4, pick up in verse 12. Uh, i got some good things to share. It's uh, a lot of good instruction Paul's trying to hand off to Timothy. So let's pray, and then we'll dig around here a little bit. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for going to the cross, Jesus, and taking our place. We should have been the ones hanging on the cross. And we just ask, Lord, that as we come before you tonight, that you'll give us all ears to hear and that we'll be more like you when we leave here, that we'll be challenged, we'll be encouraged, we'll be strengthened, we'll be reproved, whatever, whatever's necessary for you to do in our lives. We welcome that tonight, Lord, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will join and we know the Spirit and the Word agree and will bring to us what we need individually and collectively. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I got a, I got glasses that don't mess with my eyes now and I have a Bible that's got bigger print, so I should be good. So I, you know, at some point you just have to surrender to that, right? I don't know why our arms get shorter as we get older, but they do. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I'm going to read to you from uh, G. Campbell Morgan. <clears throat> He's going to quote a couple of scriptures here to kind of summarize <clears throat> what Paul's trying to do with Timothy in this first letter. And then 2 Timothy is, uh, most people are in agreement that that was Paul's last writing before he left the planet, went to be with the Lord. But in this particular epistle, he quotes back in chapter 3, uh, Morgan does, he says that thou mayest know how men ought to behave themselves in the house of God. He's quoting from chapter 3, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, the great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world and received up to glory. Therefore, we reach the, there we reach the central light of the epistle concerning the true function of the church. The church is an instrument. It is the pillar, the ground of truth, or it should be. It is that upon which the truth is to be displayed. Uh, it is that upon which the truth is to be raised up that men may see it. This is the perfect agreement with the teaching of our Lord who said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp or put it under a bushel, but on the stand, and it shineth unto all that are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I think that's where the church got in trouble, probably after the 60s. They started uh, glorifying men and personalities in the church, and forget, we were all supposed to stay hidden. That's our call in Jesus, right? We're supposed to stay hidden and remain humble. They told this uh, story years ago on uh, Charles Spurgeon that the crowds were getting so big they had to shut the doors. You couldn't get in certain places. So one guy uh, came and said, I'd like to get in. And the guy said, well, we've, nobody else is allowed in. And he was walking away, and, and the guy said, well, hey, I've got a seat. He said, I was going to lock the doors. He said, but. He said, if you'll tell me what you think about my preacher, I'll let you have my seat tonight. And so he went in, and the guy comes out, as the story goes, and he runs him down and said, hey, we had an agreement. You're supposed to tell me what you think about my preacher. And he said, your preacher? He said, all I saw was Jesus tonight. That's when a preacher does his job. Right? Or any of us, when we're witnessing or we're, however God's using us, when they can see Christ... That should be our goal. We shouldn't look for any credit. We should make sure that the Lord gets all the credit for anything because he's the one that makes things happen anyway. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word. So he's giving him, he's admonishing him, giving him instruction. Uh, his youth should not be a bear because God's called him, set him up just like he did Josiah in the Old Testament who was eight years old. When he went to the throne, uh, God knows what he's doing. Uh, you would think an eight-year-old would be the least successful of all the kings. 
But the Bible said there was none like him before him or after him. Because God called him, set his hand on him. He was the next in succession. And when he was 18 years old, you know what he said? He said, go get the word of God and let's see what it's talking about. Wouldn't that be refreshing to hear churches do that? Our government in Washington or Frankfurt to do that. It would be nice for somebody to say, let's go get the word of God and see what he's trying to say to us. But Josiah did that, and the Bible said that he destroyed all the idols in the cities, but he went out on the hills and the high places and destroyed everything. And he, they were, most kings just cleaned up what they could see. They were like politicians. Just deal with what they could see, but they don't get to the root of things. Not all politicians, but most. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word. So how you speak, in conduct, how you live, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That's the call for this young man in ministry. His call is not to build the church. That's none of our calls. No preacher's call is to build the church. But the Lord said, I'll build the church. The Bible says in Acts that he adds to the church daily such as should be saved. We don't save anybody. We don't build ministries. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. We're here to obey. Preachers need to understand that. Everybody in church, we're here to obey. We're not here to give God ideas. We're not here to help him run his kingdom. We're here to obey. It's as simple as that. And we've made this way too hard on ourselves. If we would just follow God's plan, it would be a lot easier on all of us. He says, uh, I will come and give attention to... He said, I, uh, do all this until I come. Give attention to reading... That means getting in the word, uh, exhortation, and uh, to doctrine, biblical doctrine. Now, you, if you grew up around the church like I did, I got saved when I was six years old, and it was real. Um, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was 12. It was real. And I was called to ministry when I was a junior in high school. It was real, but I ran for two or three years until I surrendered. Uh, but if you're raised around the church, you hear things growing up in and out of the church. And then if you, when you get serious about getting in the Bible yourselves, you find out some of those things are not in there. Right? How many of you have heard that say, when the end of time gets here, you won't be able to tell the seasons? That, one from another. That's not, the Bible says just the opposite of that in Genesis. I don't know where we get these wives' fables and tales and all that stuff Paul talks about. But we come up with stuff, and but when you start reading the Word, and a lot of what I heard was true, and, and I don't cast it all aside, certainly, but you want to start with the Word. I told my mother one day when I was still living at home, before I was married, I was working in the coal mines, but I knew I had accepted my call, and I just hadn't went into ministry full time, but I knew that was where I was headed eventually in God's time. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to, just go to the creek bank with my Bible, and I'm just going to read it for what it is. I want the Holy Spirit to teach me. I don't want to come to the Bible with a slant. Now, we all have a slant, especially if you grew up in the church. You'll come to the Bible with a slant, and you want to just make sure that all those slants are lining up with the Word, and you'll find out, like I did, most of us do, that all the slants don't line up with the Word. It was somebody slant that they handed off to you or me and i you know i don't care if you love somebody we can all be wrong so if you really get in the word stick with the word let the word be its number one interpreter right the word will interpret itself if you'll run through the scripture and so let it interpret itself and so he says i want you to give attention to reading study the bible tells us in, in this epistle study to show yourself approved he says, give uh, exhortation to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Uh, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, I am radical when it comes to faith. But if anybody's going to be radical, it needs to be me. 
That's what he's saying to you. You're, you should be the example. I am, I'm a fader, and that's a made-up word, but I'm radical with my faith in every way. I believe God is the answer to every single problem. And I've tried to live that way, and I've got more radical as I've gotten older because I've seen how much He does and can do. And so I'm radical with it. But I'm, if I'm going to be out in front, the guy out in front needs to be the one who's living by faith. Uh, and all these things that he's telling Timothy. So he's, in, he's preparing Timothy to get ready to lead people. And he said, uh, continue in these things. And if you, if you want to know what I see in the New Testament as big and bold as anything, is how much Jesus and all his disciples and the apostles talk about endurance. I mean, it's over and over from the Gospels through all the epistles through the book of Revelation, it talks about endurance, how God wants us to endure. And he tells Timothy, he says, Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, I'm going to do this probably sooner than later, but there is a, uh, one of the words for salvation in the New Testament is sozo. And it's filled with meaning. The other, the other word is uh, soteria. And these are filled. Well, I tried to write in Greek and English right there, and that didn't work. These, these are uh, filled with power and meaning about what your salvation brings to you. And so he's telling him, he's saying, you're going to save yourself and those who hear you. Do, and then he goes right on in, says, he's giving him instruction. As you've heard me say many times, there were no chapters in the original writing. They put those in, Eusebius and his boys later on. He said, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So he brings that back to his purity up here, and he's saying, be pure with these people, right? That you, and that's how we should be with each other in the church. Uh, the church is not exempt from problems, but it would be if they would live like the Bible tells them. You could say that about a family or anything. But we, we neglect God's word a lot of times and we do our own thing. And it, this is the flesh and it talks to all of us. The flesh is talking when you start thinking you're the exception. That's the flesh talk. When you and I think we can do something different than everybody else because, and you can fill in the blank with whatever you want to, because I've been saved so long or because I'm this or that. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And he just wants that one opening where you start getting led by the flesh so he can get in on us. And he's not, you and I are not the, the most prolific thing the devil's ever seen. He's not over there scratching his head thinking, how am I going to work on them? You know, he's been working on men and women for 6,000 years, give or take a few years. And so he's not, we're not catching him off guard. But we need to maintain what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives us a lot of good instruction. But because we live in a culture that comes against that, not just vehemently, not just attacking, occasionally that happens, but it come, the, the, the culture comes in on the church when it brings its norms into the church. When they normalize things that we know God doesn't like. You know, and, and, the, and the greatest weapon for that in the last 60 years has been media. If you brought your great-grandmother and set her in front of a television set and let her watch some of those commercials, she'd probably get up and walk out of the room now, wouldn't she? But we've allowed that stuff to get normal over time, and we, we just get numb to it, right? We normalize. And that's the greatest threat, I think, to Christians is we just get... Now, we don't, we don't take and beat people over the head. You can't, you can't change anyone. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. But we can still live a standard. One of the examples, I learned two things out of this lesson. I was at a football game years ago, and I was uh, standing in a circle with a bunch of men, and I told a joke. It wasn't a bad joke. But all those men in that circle were not believers. So when I told that joke, it opened the door for, you know how men are, right? Look here at my sore toe. Well, let me show you mine. 
smell how bad my gym bag smells. Well, at least you, you smell of mine. Right? That's how men are. So somebody told a joke that was not good. And I had a couple of choices, right? I could get in the middle of them and be a Pharisee and condemn him and send him straight to hell. <laughs> Which that, that wasn't my job. <laughs> but I, I had to make a stand, right? So I just walked away. I walked away because, and I wouldn't laugh, I just walked away. But when I walked away and was talking to the Lord about it and fussing about how bad it was, he said, well, you opened the door for that. You opened the door for foolishness, right? You've got to know your audience, right? Now, there are things I could say to somebody who loves the Lord that I wouldn't say to somebody who don't love the Lord, right? Because they know where I'm coming from, right? And you just got, and so I had some level of responsibility because I opened the door. I guess God had another plan for me in the middle of all those men other than telling my stupid joke. And I blew it. So that's where we got to learn. And I was in training. God was training me. He's still working on me, by the way. Uh, but since I've been with you all, at least I have my permanent teeth now. <laughs> you all weren't, you weren't around when I was losing all my teeth, spiritually speaking, you know. So uh, he, uh, <clears throat> so we got to learn. And, and he's trying to instruct Paul here. He, Paul's trying to instruct Timothy to get ready to lead people. Now, you're going to lead people. All of us have some level of leading, whether it's a, a business, whether it's a family. And even as, as you've heard me say before, the Jews didn't have grand for anybody. If you were a father, you maintained that, that standing. So I, in, in Israel, you wouldn't have called your grandfather grandfather. You would have called him father and on up the line because of the respect, right? Father, father, mother, same way. And so you still have opportunity to lead, even as a, what we call a grandparent or a great-grandparent. You have opportunity to lead by example, instruction, right? And you don't have the same level of authority when somebody's grown, but you can be there to set that example. And when they ask for wisdom, you need to be ready to give it to them. And I, I'm going to say this. That's why you can't just, even as you get older and you may feel like, well, I don't have the same uh, energy, I don't have the same physical ability, but you need to be ready. You don't need to neglect the word. I don't, that's why Joshua at 110 said, as for me and my house, we're going to keep serving the Lord because he maintained that relationship. So you, it may be that one moment when your grandchild has been wayward, running with the world, that you got a word from God for them and you hand it off to them and it's life-changing. And he, in fact, the Lord will take that call. <laughs> But you can be life-changing for that. So don't get out here and get relegated and think, well, my day of being uh, strong and, and doing God. No, keep doing what, keep staying in the Word so you can be ready for that moment. Be instant, in season and out. And he gives him that instruction as well. And he says, uh, he says uh, honor widows. Now listen up. This is going to give us some clear instruction about how to deal with widows. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first put their Game Boys down and their Nintendo games and go help their mama. That's how I would say it today. Get out of your living room and go help your grandmother. Uh, honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children and grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home to repay, to repay their parents. Hey! I wrote, a I wrote an article years ago. It got published nationally in some Christian stuff. And it was about how Gentiles, Paul said, owe the Jews a debt. You know why? Because that's where our Messiah came from. They, the Jews wrote most of your Bible, 90-some percent of your Bible. They suffered horrifically so the rest of the world could be brought in to salvation. We owe them a debt. And what Paul's saying, children, don't get too high-minded because you owe your parents a debt. Especially godly parents who brought you up in the ways of God and who took care of you and nurtured you and all that. We, he said, you owe them a debt. So basically he's saying here, if they've got children and grandchildren, they need to step up. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is a really a widow... 
and left alone, trusts in God, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So he's saying that's a widow. A widow is somebody who loves God, who serves God, who is pursuing him, right? And then he says, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, right? So in other words, and we've seen this, not just women, but men, somebody lose their spouse and they go crazy. I'm talking about go back to the world and run, run wild with the world. I mean, I've seen that my whole life growing up. Somebody lose their spouse for whatever reason. A lot of times it may be tragic to whatever. And then the, the, the spouse that's left just goes berserk with the world. Now, I ain't getting no amens, but we all have seen that. We've all seen that happen. And, and he says, so Paul's really dealing with all that, right? I mean, if you want to be, a, if you want a relevant book, it don't need to come off the press yesterday. Right here it is in front of you. He deals with everything. And that's because the Holy Spirit know, knew the end from the beginning. He operates outside of time. So he knew exactly what we need to hear. And they're dealing with this. Paul's going to talk about it because this is going on right now while Paul's talking about it. He said, these things I command you, he said, uh, that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and worse than that an unbeliever. Now, most of the time we use that verse to, to kind of tell fathers to get with it, right? Get up and get... But that's not the context. And, and it's probably good to tell fathers. I'm not, the context is for the children and grandchildren to take care of their parents when they get old. That's what the context is. Now, uh, I had a little situation where uh, I shared a little bit of this, but I didn't really share the details, and I'm going to try to be as uh, moderate as I can here. But I was in front of a lawyer, and he said in a situation uh, just a few weeks ago, and he said, ideally, he said, if you're not just super wealthy, he said, you want to die broke. He said, you want to give everything you've got to your children while you can, and then, it's, and, 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 and then if you need something, they can give it back to you. He said, because you don't want me getting it and the probate court getting it and the powers, the government, all that getting it. He said, so ideally. He said, but the problem, now I'm going to identify the problem. He said, the problem is, is that people's children, some of them are crazy. They can't trust them. They're strung out on drugs. They won't work. I mean, he said, so that's changed the whole dynamic. He said, ideally, a family is supposed to be able to say, hey, hold this $5,000 for me. If I need it, I'll call you. If not, if I die, it's yours. But he said, those days are getting hard. They're getting fewer and further between because people don't have children they can trust. Now, that's, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because of what we're getting ready to read. And I brought this up last week. And I don't mean this to be offensive, but the church is trying to, Make up for what the family's not doing. We didn't have youth pastors when I was growing up. Because the family did their job. And when you got old enough to understand the Bible, you went to big church and you sat still and you didn't play on some phone. Because if you played on the phone, which you didn't have a phone, but you didn't play with anything. Much less a phone. You would have played all right. You'd have played a crying tune outside the church buildings, what you'd play. They wouldn't even let us sleep in church. And so the reverence for the house of God has went way down because we've accepted the norms of the world. We don't even, you know, we didn't, we didn't even have dinner with phones with my children. Have some boundaries, man. Even when they got old enough to have some, we got to have some boundaries. And that's, that's, the church is now trying to make up for the deadbeat son. Right? Or the deadbeat daughter. And I don't mean that. I guess I did mean it that way or I wouldn't have said it that way. But, you <laughs> but the problem is we don't have the same boundaries with the family. We don't have the same security with the family. And the family has, was formed first even before the church. Now... So the church, this is your family. So now Paul has given us certain responsibilities to treat each other like family. But there are problems sometimes, 
And you know, you know it. We've all got the family tree, right? We've got a family tree where people don't do things. You know, I've got people in my family that won't, as they say where I'm coming from, won't strike a lick at a black snake. They won't work. <laughs> Is that a new one? <laughs> uh, um, so, <laughs> so we got different dynamics. So how we need to step up as we're brothers and sisters. And that's where we come in when somebody don't have family. Or maybe somebody has children or grandchildren that won't help for whatever reason. Uh, then we, we don't want to let that go. But Paul's given the instruction how it should be handled first. If somebody claims to be a Christian, then they, sh they should do what the Word teaches. Right? But we got millions of people in this country that claim to be Christians that don't even go to God's house. That don't know what the Word teaches. And he says, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever. Do not let the widow, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported of good works. If she has brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, she's been hospitable. If she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they've cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about. Uh, boy, if he was alive today, <laughs> woo wee! If he watched how some of this stuff works on media, Paul would he'd be saying, "Take me back to heaven, probably." Wandering about from house to house, he says, they become wanton, cast off, and they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So he's saying, if you've got a widow, let her keep her focus on the Lord. If she gets caught up in this other thing, she'll bring reproach on herself. And he says, for some, and we've seen that, right? I mean, I've seen that. We've all seen that. For some have already, and it's not just women, it's men too. For some have already turned aside after Satan. So they're dealing with that. He's already said that. When he says that, he lets you know these are problems the church is trying to handle. He says, some already have turned aside. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So this must have been a problem, a real problem. And, and the Jews got into some bad stuff because most of your early church was Jews. The Gentiles came in by the droves after Paul got called to go. But your early churches, like in Rome and places like that, they were made up of Jews, Jews that had actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, that was a small portion of the, of the nation, but there were some that had believed. Many were waiting on the Messiah. They believed on him. Right? So they, they were believers. Now these Jews, many of them had were, when they come into Christ, they were polygamists. Many of them had more than one wife. We talked about that last week. And they had been given laws, uh, like when Jesus talked about law, they would, they would leave a woman because she snored too loud or whatever. You've probably read some of those stories yourself. And so these women get put in different situations because the man was not following the Lord himself. And so now... He says the church shouldn't be burdened with them if, if they have family or people that are in their circle that could take care of them. And, and so he's given all that. And then he gets into leadership. He says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive, and he's given all this instruction. Now, remember what he's doing. He's giving all this to Timothy because Timothy's getting ready to step in and lead. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So he's giving him this instruction because the enemy is, he's a liar, and he likes to do things that are <laughs> cause division. Those who are uh, shining rebuke in the presence of all, and the rest, also, uh, he said, those who are sinning, I said shining, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. 
So Paul did some of that, right? He even put guys out of the church. But the whole reason for that uh, is to get people to see what they're missing out on. So when you expel somebody from the church, if you read Paul's writings when he talks about expelling, he said put them out there so that he talked about one guy that his flesh might be destroyed so his soul would be saved. Now I said something Sunday. I said if, if without holiness nobody's going to see the Lord, how extreme should God be in trying to bring us into that? How extreme was Paul there? When he excommunicated this guy, that's the religious term we use, when he excommunicated him from the church, his goal was not to get rid of the problem. His goal was to get this guy right. So the, the early church used excommunication in a way that would put somebody out there and they would see what they're missing and they would repent and turn and come back. And so I've seen God do that. I, I've had a friend or two that I knew God was trying to bring in and they refused and they came in and then I buried them. Their flesh was destroyed, but their soul was saved. Now, if you weigh how many years we're going to get here, and can you believe May's over already? Do you know how fast time goes? I mean, did you? Sometimes I wake up and I really realize how old I am. I'm thank God I don't do that every day because that would be <laughs> depressing. <laughs> but some days I wake up and I think, am I really that old? Am I really that close to drawing Social Security? And some of you have already got there. I understand that. But you just you wake up and you think, how did I get this old? Right? That quick. And then, so we, we've all got responsibilities that God has given us. But he, he says, uh, this excommunication thing was not designed to make somebody be ostracized forever. It was designed to get them to repent and come back in. And he said, uh, he says, I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. In other words, without being partial. And I, this guy's gone on to be with the Lord, but he's a, he was a wonderful friend of mine, a, a wonderful leader in the church, elder. And he would, uh, it was a race between him, me, and another guy who got to church every morning at 4 o'clock. <laughs> he usually won. Uh, and we prayed, and, he, and, one, and his son was a musician and his son had strayed from the Lord but he was still being a musician and I had to take him off the platform and he backed me up that's rare he said you're you done the right thing and he actually had to calm his wife down because that was her little baby and he had to stand up and say no that's that's the right thing to do but that's rare but we got to do things without. He was my, he was, he and I were very close, really close. Because we prayed together. You get close with people you pray together with. And you get vulnerable. And uh, he, uh, but he backed me up 100%. And, and now his son is a wonderful man serving the Lord, got a family. See, that's how God designs it. We look at something, oh, the preacher rebuked them or somebody had to call them down. Well, the idea behind correction is, is to get them to be healed. What did Paul say? Let that which is lame be healed and turn back in, right? That, that's the whole idea. And, and we got to remember that as parents, too. You can't discipline your children because they're embarrassing you. Guess what? You embarrassed your parents, too. I'll never forget when I embarrassed my dad. It, it, it the ending was bad. But we got to remember that we're here to guide them, instruct them, not to provoke them to anger. The Bible tells parents not to provoke their children to anger. Everything about, let, let me just say it to you this way. Everything about Christ, at least for this season, until this season is up, and I mean when the Lord comes back to judge the earth, everything he's doing, even if it's punishment, is redemptive. It's all, that's who he is. Now, there's a day. We read about it. It's coming where he's going to be punitive, right? That's punishment with no hope of recovery. But for now, he's redemptive. 
And he, let's go to Hosea chapter 6. Let me show you this. It's beautiful. This is prophetic. I, I'll try to bite my tongue and not to get into the prophetic part of it. But uh, in Hosea chapter 6, let's go to Hosea chapter 6. Listen to this prophetic utterance, but listen to the grace and the redemption inside of it that God speaks to his people. In Hosea chapter 6, and you see Hosea is called to marry a prostitute. And he just keeps going and getting her and going and getting her. She keeps straying. And, he keeps, and it's a picture of how God is with his people. And finally, of all things, even though she's his wife, he could have kicked the door in with a big gun and said, I'm getting my wife and taking her home. He bought her back. He paid for her, which is exactly what God did. We're his creation. We belong to him. The devil stole our hearts, and God sent his son to buy us back. We didn't deserve to be bought back. And he did it anyway because he's so re redemptive. One of the worst things, one of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life, not, not a tragic feeling, but just a bad feeling. I've had some bad feelings in traffic in places like Dallas and Chicago, but the worst bad feeling I've had was having to go to a pawn shop and buy back stuff that I'd already paid for once because somebody stole it, stole it from me. And then I had to forgive them. And then to pay for stuff that I've already paid for once, that was a bad feeling. Think about God. He gave us everything, and he had to come and buy us back. But here in chapter 6, he says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn. Who tore? The Lord. But he will heal us. See, that's God. He's redemptive, right? And we, you can read about John 10, and you study those shepherds, how sometimes they break the leg of a straying lamb just so it don't get devoured by the enemy, but they'll carry that lamb until it's well to walk on its own again. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And here's the prophetic part is after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight, not his presence. So he's talking about the two days. A thousand years is a day. and a day's a, He's talking about the 2,000 years between the cross and when he comes for the church and he restores Israel and then he brings his kingdom down. No longer will Israel be looking at God, thinking about God in heaven. Jesus will be here on earth. They'll be in his sight. This is prophetic here. But the beauty of what I want you to see tonight is how he, is, he may discipline us. And we talked a lot about that Sunday, how sometimes suffering is God's way of bringing us to where he wants us to be but he 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 may discipline us or he may let us go through a season of trials because he's working on us but whatever is torn he will fix it whatever needs healing he will heal it many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord shall deliver him out of them all every single one of them now he don't do everything like we want him to do right but he does his thing that is beneficial for us right you, you, don't, you don't understand that when you're young and growing as even a child when a parent does something that may hurt or when a doctor has to set a bone or put an IV in. For a little child, they don't understand. They think of the pain that's coming, but they don't think of the reward or the healing that's coming after that. And sometimes we treat God that way. We, we, don't, we like the path of least resistance, or at least the flesh does. But God don't always call us down the easy path. What kind of example is that? God calls us at certain seasons in our life to walk the hard path because that's where we give off the most fragrance of who he is. Jesus crushed the enemy in his hardest hour. The suffering, when he was suffering the most is when he was crushing the serpent. And sometimes we have to go through things like that. And then he, uh, he goes on and he says... I charge you uh, for God, uh, you do these things without prejudice, do nothing with partiality. James talks about the same thing, right? Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. In another place, Paul says, know those who labor among you. In Leviticus, it talks about not partaking in other people's sins. So Paul knew all that. He's probably bringing that into the New Testament dispensation, or the Holy Spirit is. Uh, do not share in other people's sins, but keep yourself pure. That's the third time he's talked about purity. What interferes with our purity is when we accept the norms of our culture. And we've got to guard against that. 
No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So uh, Paul's concern was, he had concern for his health. And evidently, because of the way this reads, Timothy had some health issues. And Paul's trying to get him, obviously, to get other nutrients that would help him with that. Because if he thinks he's had stomach aches before, now that he's getting ready to pasture, he's getting ready to have some real stomach aches. I talked with a pastor today that just, I mean, he was, his gut was bothering him because he had such a horrible situation he was trying to deal with. And so Paul's getting him ready for ministry. He said, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow after. You heard the story of the mother whose husband was a scoundrel, as we say. And he died. And the mom and the son are sitting in the funeral home. The preacher's just preaching him like he was an angel. And the mom looks at the son and said, go up there and see if that's your daddy now casket up <laughs> so his sins were out and about I guess some men go after them then he says about good works too likewise the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden have you ever been in a situation where maybe somebody's passed on and you hear stories that you didn't have any idea that they were that way because they were discreet then the Lord used them in many ways that nobody even knew about. Somebody will tell something at a funeral, a preacher, or somebody who speaks on their behalf, and you think, wow. And, and so either way, good or bad, it's inevitable that it's going to come to the surface sooner or later. Uh, so that's what the altar's for. I was uh, in a meeting in, in Washington years ago, and the rab one of the speakers was a rabbi. And he said something that stuck with me for 20-some years. He said, we like to blame everything on our external situations. And he wouldn't have converted you. He was, a mess. He was a orthodox. But he had good principles. And he said, uh, he said we like to, as humans, we like to blame everything on externals. Like, like if I did something wrong, it's because, just like Eve did, right? And then Adam pulled the same stunt, right? He said, but if it ain't in there, it can't come out. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life. If it's not in there, it can't come out. What did Jesus say? He said, Satan's coming, but he has nothing in me. See, whatever we leave in there, Satan has some ground to work with something if it's against God's principles, right? So if it's unforgiveness, if it's hatred, if it's greed, if it's lust, if it's anger, any of those things that are left inside of us gives him access. So we, that's the design. And the, the, I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's got so many wonderful things to bring to the believer and the body. But the Holy Spirit's after lifting Christ, right? His, his whole deal is to promote Christ. He didn't come to speak of himself, but to give glory to Christ. After that, his second thing is to conquer you and I. Because he don't con if we don't, and we need to work with that, we're part of the process to allow him to, if he don't conquer us, if we don't allow him to conquer us, he don't have a vessel he can fully use. Because we'll be bailing on him. Some people will be bailing on him because I'm not going to love that person. Some people would be bailing on because I'm afraid, fear. Some people would be bailing on because their own agenda is more important than what he's asking them to do. I mean, all kinds of things that if they rely, lay unconquered, then that our vessel's not fully utilized. And that's why he wants to immerse us in him, baptized. And when you, you, know, you come to the day of Pentecost, and the first thing he does when the Holy Spirit gets on the people, he gives them a new tongue. Why? He went after the most unruly member they had and, ta and tamed it first. The Bible says, your tongue and my tongue set on fire from hell. So when the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost, the first thing he went after was their tongue. 
And they all spoke the glories of God, and everybody heard it in their own life. It's a miracle. I don't, I don't, I don't deny that. But why, the Holy Spirit went after their tongue first because Paul or James 1 talks about how the tongue is wicked, set on fire from hell. And then he says, so he says, but if your good works, same would be true of that. Some people's works go before them. Some people's works come after them. Right? Billy Graham, everybody could see what he was getting done for the most part, especially because of media. But Mother Teresa, is after she's dead, we found out that she, didn't have, she had no fear to go in to these orphanages over in Africa and hug children that had AIDS. Didn't bother her. Had two dresses. That's all she had. Won the million-dollar Nobel Peace Prize and gave it all away. I mean, you learn those things sometimes after people die, and I'm thinking, wow. So then he says, I'm going to close here in this one verse in chapter 6. Let as many as bondservants are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And I, we'll get into this more next week. I just want to define bondservants there. You, I use this word already. It's doulos in the Greek. It's, it signifies being in bondage. It signifies being in bondage. It signifies being owned by someone. Subject to someone. To become a slave. And then Paul talks about a bond slave in 1 Corinthians 9 and 19, let me take you there and then I'll close. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19, a bond slave, if you go back to the Old Testament, is somebody who's actually been a slave in bondage, but they've worked off their debt. And sometimes the whole family would have to go into bondage. But if you read how God taught Israel to treat their slaves or their servants, they were supposed to treat them like families, not like what went on early in our nation and what went on in America was already going on in Africa. People don't talk about that. And it's still going on in some parts of the world. But God gave Israel specific instructions on how to treat people as their servants. To treat them basically like family. And so some of those slaves or servants would get treated so well, after they'd paid off their debt, they would choose to stay and work for that family anyway. Because they loved them. And they treated them right. That's what Christianity is built on, do loss. It's built on the fact you don't have to serve God if you don't want to. Whosoever will. It's your choice. You don't have to be in his house. Those are all choices. But they're choices that we make because we know how much he loves us. We know how redemptive he is, how forgiving he is, how, how much he provides for us. We believe in who he is. And Paul says this, he says, For though I am free from all men... In verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, I have made myself a servant to all. That I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And you know, Paul talks a lot about liberties and freedoms. And he foregoes them a lot because he doesn't want to offend somebody. You know... If you sit down with somebody that's a Jew, that's Orthodox, and then you're having breakfast, don't order pork. You, don't, you can do without sausage one day. or Maybe not bacon, but sausage you can. <laughs> and who brought the country ham in is what I want to know. You, you can forego that. You're, you're there. What if we all woke up tomorrow and our number one objective was for our life to give Jesus all the glory we could. This, these whole counties would be flipped on their head. But we, we have a lot of competition. Well, the Lord has a lot of competition in our lives. So he said, I'm, I'm willing. He said, I made myself a servant. To all. He was sold out to all men. I became whatever was necessary that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without the law not being without law toward God. So there, see, people would have run with that. Well, they said, he, he's living like a sinner to get with sinners. No, he clears that up. Those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law toward God. In other words, I still live morally. 
but under the law toward Christ, that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. That's the guy that's training Timothy. You get it? He's telling Timothy, stay pure. Get, stay in the Word. Deal with the, the body of Christ like brothers and sisters, moms and dads, because we're all, we're all a family. That's why when Jesus said, nobody's ever left anything in this life and not received a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. Now, how many of you grew up with some brothers and sisters, right? Now look how many you got. And a friend that's close by is better than a brother far off. That's what Proverbs says. So God made us all a family. And look at us. I mean, we look different. We say things different. But he put us all together in the beauty of a tapestry. Some of us are from the left coast. Some of us are from the right coast. From us, some of us are from down south where they don't strike a lick at a black snake. <laughs> and some of us from the snow. And we've been cold the whole time we've been here. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful how God calls us from the north, south, east, and west and puts a wonderful family together. I am so thankful to be in God's family. I am so thankful. Because I don't always say the right thing. I don't always do the right thing. Sometimes I'm one of them knuckleheads that I talk to you all about. But I got a God that loves me. And even though he's put this mantle on me to share his word, if I lost my ability to speak tonight, God would love me no less tomorrow. Because I'm his son. I'm not just his preacher. I'm his son. And in fact, lest, we, lest preachers get too high on themselves, he could put us on unemployment and use donkeys. He's done it before. Roosters, fish, lest we get too high on ourselves. He's the one that makes things happen. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Let's give him some praise tonight. Amen. Amen.